Well, welcome again. Really excited to unpack this conversation because on Christmas, uh, it feels like we really do center around a lot of things that are maybe not as important as they need to be, but ultimately we want to be grounded as Christians in the reality that, man, Jesus is valuable. And so today, as we unpack the fourth week of our conversation in big screen, uh, we have a tie-in. And if you just joined online, I want you to know this. We have been in this series called Big Screen, and what we've been doing is we've been walking through some different movie themes. And we've been talking talking about how in some way scripture redeems some of those things that uh, promise some fruitlessness on the other side. And so uh, what we've been doing is we've been taking some of our favorite Christmas movies and unpacking some of those things. And today is no different. Um, What you don't see online over the last couple of weeks are those movie clips because of some copyright rules. Uh, And so uh, we usually have a little clip. If you have time at some point in the following year to come join us at a big screen series, we would love for you to do that so you can get the full effect on this. But today... The movie we're going to be diving into is a Charlie Brown Christmas. And maybe not even a movie, maybe just like a Christmas special that we get to watch on TV. But, but we really thought this one was pretty fitting because of how iconic it is, right? Any of you uh, in the older demographic, you've probably seen this or you've probably watched this. You're probably familiar with it. Uh, any of you in the younger demographic, one of those people in the older demographic has probably sat you down to show you this and, and let you watch this because it's not just a thing that used to happen. It's a thing that still happens. In fact, this year, it was the 50th anniversary of them playing and airing a Charlie Brown Christmas. And and I'm a nostalgic guy when it comes to the Christmas season, right? I think uh, as kids, what we do is we associate some of those best memories with some of those best moments. And I remember just growing up and being able to watch every Christmas, those claymation renditions of uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? Being able to go in uh, and watch a Christmas story at my grandmother's house and being terrified about the scene where the kid's tongue gets stuck on the pole, right? I, I just remember those things so vividly. And I remember where I was because of everything the season brought. But another thing that I remember watching was that Charlie Brown Christmas special. And it's been around for a while. So uh, like I said, many of you may have seen it too. In fact, as we were sitting around the table on Tuesday with the pastors, uh, Pastor Eddie, our founding pastor, he told us, he said, man, you guys want to hear something crazy? I watched the very first airing of a Charlie Brown Christmas. And I was like, that's crazy. And then he told us, hey, don't tell anybody I said that because I was a teenager when that happened. I don't want you, I don't want people to know that I was a teenager going to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. We thought that was funny, but it's been around forever and it's got that meaningful nostalgic moment, even for Pastor Eddie as he founded that. But there's a little bit in this story that maybe we miss and there's a little bit in the story that's maybe a little more meaningful uh, than we ever thought it was. And so I wanted to kind of take you there, take you into the story a little bit because there's this one iconic scene in this special, right? And what's really cool is I'm going to let Jason Sorosky, a pastor in Missouri, I'm going to let him unpack a little bit of this for us this morning. I'm going to tell his story as he unpacks it so you can get a little glimpse and we get kind of thrust into this story. Normally we'd show it on a Sunday morning, but here's that moment that I'm talking about. Here's that iconic moment. Jason says this, as he was watching this special, he said, I was in the first grade back when they still performed Christmas pageants in schools. Less than 50 years, but still a very long time ago, and our class performed a version of the Charlie Brown Christmas. Since I was a kid uh, in kind of a bookworm and already had a blue blanket, I was chosen to play the part of Linus. As Linus, I memorized Luke 2, 8 through 14, and that scripture has been hidden in my heart ever since. 
But while working so diligently to learn those lines, there's one important thing I didn't notice then and didn't notice until now. Right in the middle of speaking, Linus drops the blanket. For those of you who have seen this, you, you remember that moment, right? Where, where he's giving his speech on stage and, and all of a sudden he just subtly drops that blanket. Jason says, Charlie Brown is best known for his uniquely striped shirt and Linus is most associated with his ever-present security blanket, that little blue blanket that he drops. Throughout the story of Peanuts, Lucy, Snoopy, Sally, and others all work to no avail to separate Linus from his blanket. And even though a security blanket remains a major source of ridicule for the otherwise mature and thoughtful Linus, he just simply refuses to give it up until this moment when he simply drops it. In that cinematic scene, when Linus shares what Christmas is all about, he drops his security blanket. And I am now convinced that this is intentional, he says. Most telling is the specific moment he drops it when he utters the words, fear not. Looking at it now, it's pretty clear what Charles Schultz was saying. Charles Schultz, the author, was saying. And it's so simple, it's brilliant. That the birth of Jesus separates us from our fears. The birth of Jesus frees us from the habits we are unable or unwilling to break ourselves. The birth of Jesus allows us to simply drop the false security that we've been grasping so tightly to learn to trust him and cling to him instead. I love that, right? This little subtle moment in the middle of this timeless cinematic masterpiece at this point, right? Where Linus starts to unpack, man, what is the true meaning of Christmas? And he starts to tell the audience, it's about Jesus, right? It's always been about Jesus. It's about Emmanuel, God coming to live with us. And in the middle of the climax of this speech, he says those two words, he says, fear not. And in the moment where he says, fear not, he drops his blanket. He drops this thing that he's clung to his entire life, his, th th this little thing that throughout the sequels, throughout the shows, uh, everybody tries to remove him from this little security blanket, this comfort zone that he knows. In that moment when he starts telling the Christmas story and he says, fear not, he willingly and not reluctantly drops his blanket to the floor. And what's not shocking about this, if you know Charles Schultz, is that he's an open Christian. And so in this moment, I think it's strategic on his part, right? To show the world that, man, you do not have to fear. You can let go of the security blanket and you can just trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone. He's the one that alleviates those fears. He's the one that alleviates those doubts. And he's the one that gives us ultimate freedom. Just a little subtle moment Yet, when we really understand it for what I think Charles intended it to be, it can become very impactful and it can become incredibly profound. But, but what does that mean, right? How do, we, how do we go from, okay, this baby shows up on the scene to all of a sudden we're liberated because of him? All of a sudden we don't have fear? All of a sudden we don't have anxiety because of him? How does that work? How do we get to that place from this little baby that's usually the centerpiece of every nativity scene to... I don't know, you can have freedom. I don't know, you don't have to worry. I don't know, you, you don't have to fret. Oh, no, no, you don't have to cling to that security blanket. How do we go from little baby to that moment? It's pretty interesting. But what I think helps us unpack that a little bit is if we remember a, a couple of weeks ago in the big string conversation, Joseph has this dream, 
right? In the middle of the chaos, in the middle of uh, his not yet wife becoming pregnant, an angel shows up and says, hey, don't freak out yet. There's a baby. It is from God, and his name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in this little moment, Yes, it's true. God shows up on the scene. Yes, it's true. He comes as a baby. And yes, uh, to what Linus is saying, it's also true that you don't have to fear anymore because of what that means, because of what's coming. Because Emmanuel does mean God with us. And in this moment, God didn't sit far away from his creation, but instead he stepped right in the middle of it. He was right with his creation. He was with us. And it wasn't just for those 33 years. In fact, the implications are bigger. They're more staggering than just him being around us for those 33 years. Yes, the physical presence of God was among his people, but that was just the beginning of the unwrapping of the greatest present of all, as Linus calls it, as he starts to un. Pack it. And I think in this moment, Linus begins to understand that, right? And I think in this moment, this is what Charles wants us to understand that yes, this little baby, he's the beginning of you feeling that freedom. And we're going to see just how much freedom he offers and just what it looks like for him to offer us that freedom. So I want to read you something about this Jesus character. I want to read you something uh, that the Apostle Paul writes. The Apostle Paul is this character that writes over half of the New Testament in our Bible, this real guy who really had an encounter with Jesus, but not as a baby, as an adult. And he's, he's got this deep theology, right? He starts to understand just who God is. He starts to understand just what God wants for his people. He starts to understand just what role Jesus plays in the shaping of the world and the redeeming of mankind. In one of his letters, Romans, a a book, a letter to the church in Rome, he writes this in verses 31 and 32. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Some big language from Paul. And I think what Paul's doing in many ways is he's looking at the church at Rome and he's saying, hey, put your money where your mouth is. Understand what you really have in the person of Jesus. Understand just how much God really, really values you. And for us today, I want us to understand that God really, really values you to the point where he did not stay far away. He inserted his own son into the timeline his own son who would be beaten and be bruised for our sins. That's how much God loves us. And so the same thing Paul tells the church at Rome, hey, guys, understand how much God loves you. Understand just what the implications are that he was willing to give his own son for you. Understand just how monumental this was. And he starts to unpack it. And and in that passage, he really unpacks two big things for us. And the first big thing he unpacks for us is that God is for us. The first thing he says right there in verse 31, after he asked that question, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he's asking it almost rhetorically saying, hey, don't forget God is for you. And if that is true, what can come against you? So Paul's getting them, trying to get them to understand, man, understand the creator of the universe, the maker of all things, the God that inserted himself into mankind, that God is for you you. He wants what's best 
for you. You were created in his image and therefore you are his top, top priority. My wife, uh, early on in our marriage, she got this tattoo on her wrist and it was in a season of dealing with anxiety and uncertainty and, and all these different things. And, and she was like, I just need a constant reminder. I know what scripture says. I know that it's true. And I just feel like sometimes I need that constant reminder. I've got to teach myself the same thing that scripture is telling me is already true. I've got to say these things to myself so that I can believe them. And so she went to the tattoo parlor and she got a tattoo of a sparrow on her wrist because what she needed to remind herself was if God values the sparrows that fall to the ground, if God values the lilies of the field, how much more does he value his firstborn creation? How much more does he value you and does he value me? And that's what Paul's telling him. Hey, God is for you. He values you. He thinks you are worthwhile so much so that he inserted himself into the timeline. And when he inserted himself in the timeline, it was not lost on him what was coming on the back end of that timeline. He knew that by sending his son on our behalf, his son was gonna have to go through ruthless punishment so that you could become like him. Jesus had to wear our sin on the cross so that you could wear his righteousness when you stand before God one day. And the only way that was possible is for him going to the cross on your behalf, on my behalf. And so first thing Paul says is, hey, remember church at Rome, God is for you. He's so for you that he started the process from an infant. He developed an intimate relationship with his son as a human to the point where he grew up. He saw those hurts. He heard those hurts. And ultimately, he didn't spare his son from those hurts because of how much he values you and how much he values me. And so Paul says, first and foremost, God is for us. And then the second thing he says is this, If God is for us, who's against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? And so Paul says, hey, God's for you. And then the second thing I need you to know is God is so for you, he's given you his very, very best. He's given you uh, the person, the, the, one of the three persons of the Trinity that's been with him from eternity past. He's been, he's been so gracious to you. He's been so for you that he's given you the best and most intimate relationship in his life so that you can have intimacy and relationship with him. He's given you his very, very best in the person of Jesus. And Paul says, hey, if that's true, And he's already given you his best. He's already given you the thing that he loves and that he values the most. Then then what would he withhold? He's already given you the thing that's the most valuable to him. So why would he withhold peace? Why would he withhold joy? Why would he withhold comfort? Why would he withhold all of these things that we've talked about over the last three weeks that we feel like we miss on a regular basis? God shows up on the scene. He gives his very best. And he says, I'm doing this because I am for you. And I love that Paul unpacks this for these people in Rome because the reality is whether we've heard that for the first time this morning or whether we've known that our entire lives, it can become difficult to believe over and over and over again. It can become difficult when we look at the circumstances in front of us to believe that God is really for us. Because what we do when we look at those circumstances oftentimes is we look at them through our own lens and we seldom look at how God sees and how God values our circumstances. But I love this because he says, hey, no matter what the circumstances are, 
God's still for you. Your circumstances don't change whether or not God is for you. Your circumstances don't change whether or not God has already given his best. In fact, for for most of us, God has already given his best before you ever had those circumstances, right? This happens 2,000 years ago. And God says, you know what? I know what the future looks like and I don't care because I want them to know they've got my very best on the front end and it's not conditional. It's not contingent based on how good they are or what they've done. They're getting my best very, very best. And that becomes difficult, I think, for us to understand, to grab onto a lot of the times because you and I as humans, although created in the image of God, are still human and we're very circumstantially driven, right? When things are great, uh, life is great. When things are not great, life is miserable. And I think for many of us, we've gotten to experience both the ups and downs of both of those realities throughout the Christmas season. Because what you and I know about the holiday seasons is they are full of some serious ups, but they can also be full of some serious downs. They can also be full of some serious, serious hurt. And so in this season, in these moments, I want to encourage you to cling on to what Paul is telling the church at Rome to cling on to, that God is for you and he's already given you his very best. And if he's already done that, there's nothing else he's going to withhold from you. But the tricky part is leaning into that, right? The tricky part is believing that. And then the tricky part is saying, hey, I believe that. And so now I'm going to go act on that. Because easy to say God has made it available, it's difficult to put down the things like our blanket, right, and go lean into what God has offered as opposed to the things that we normally go to for comfort. And some of those things aren't inherently bad things, right? Some of those things can be family, they can be friends, but oftentimes they're they're not. Oftentimes those things are things like idols, they're things like addiction, they're things like uh, relationships that soothe hurt temporarily. And when we run to those things, instead of running to Jesus, We're going to miss out on everything he's trying to give us because ultimately he is the final source of hope and happiness, the peace that we desire, that we long for, and that we can get only from him. And so for many of you this morning, you're listening to this and you're like, I've done that. I've I've trusted God with my eternity. I've leaned into that. I've started that relationship with him. I know where I'm going. I know he hasn't withheld his son from me. I know that Jesus has been the sacrifice that I needed. I know that he became my right, or He became my sin while I became his righteousness. I know that process unfolded. I've leaned into that process. But even though you've leaned into that process, you failed to trust him with whatever tomorrow looks like. And so today, my encouragement, my challenge for you and your family is don't just trust him with your eternity Trust him with your tomorrow. Trust him with the day-to-day. Lean into those moments with prayer. Lean into those moments uh, with dependence on the God who values you and has already given his very best for you. Don't wander. Lean in to that relationship. Because if you've trusted him with your eternity, you can trust him with your tomorrow, but you have to trust him. And maybe like I said earlier, you're one of those people who have just kind of wandered in. Your church isn't doing a service on a Sunday or you feel like, man, it's Christmas and that's supposed to be this Christian holiday. So I got to tune in somewhere. It's the right thing to do. And you've never heard of what it looks like to have eternity uh, counted to you. You've never heard uh, about this person of Jesus as an adult and what he's done for you. You've never heard that God's given his best. You've never even heard that God is for you because maybe in your life, it doesn't feel like God is for you to you. And that's just the reality that you feel like you wrestle with every day. But what I want to encourage you with today is that if God's word has said it, then it is true. And God's word has said, he is for you. 
He has already given you his very best. He has already made a way to start a relationship with you. When he sent his little baby, his little baby son, who he knew was gonna grow up, grow up one day to sit on a cross because of the things that you and I have done so that you could sit with the father one day outside of anything that you could do on your own. If you have never heard that before, you've never heard before that God is for you, you've never heard about what that process looks like, but you have more questions, lean into that today with us. Drop a comment in the chat or go to the private chat room and just say, hey, I've got a prayer request and we'll have a host ready to talk with you this morning. But if that's new and you feel like God is stirring in your heart right now for the first time, that there is an opportunity at peace, there's an opportunity at joy, there's an opportunity at something that's not fleeting, but is there for eternity. And that there is a God that cares you and loves you so much that he's already given his best and he wants to step into your tomorrow with you, then don't leave today before you reach out to one of us. We would love to start that conversation with you this morning. I wanna pray for us before we dive into the Christmas season. Thanks so much for joining us online today. Thanks so much for being a part of uh, The Orchard this morning. I can't wait to see you guys on the other side of the new year, January 8th, when we kick back into location services. If this is your first time ever with us online, again, I wanna invite you to do that. But I wanna remind you, there's an opportunity at joy, there's an opportunity at peace, there's an opportunity at hope. And it's because God is for you, he loves you, and he values you. So I'm gonna pray for us this morning, and I can't wait to see and hear about what God is doing in your life because maybe you believe that for the first time, or maybe tomorrow you lean into that for the first time in a long time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this, this truth. Thank you for the reality that you are for us. Thank you for the reality um, that you've already given your best, God, that you have sacrificed and not spared your own son so that we could be in fellowship with you one day for eternity. God, I pray for the hurt that goes around on Christmas Day. I pray that you would step into people's tomorrows with them. I pray that they would let you into their tomorrow. God, I pray that you would walk through hard things with them. I pray that uh, they would not hear these words and sit by idly, but God, they would hear these words. They would hear the truth of your scripture and put down the blanket, put down something that's insufficient, and lean into you for the first time maybe ever, God. We love you. We know you're capable. We're grateful for what your word says. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.